changes and then John is done. This is an amazing thing that you have, you know, five pages left of an amazing story, an amazing sacrifice that took really, we're going to be looking at the last week here, that took, you know, seven to ten days or so to happen and we get to just pick it up and read it. That's amazing. That's really cool. And like, you know, John and Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and it, they, didn't know, they didn't know what the ending was going to be. It's not like they could be like, okay, flip to John 22 so we can see how this thing's going to play out. Let's see what happens. Like, they didn't have that. You know, it's an amazing thing that we have the word. We get to go back and look at it and read and God unveils his heart through it. It's amazing. It's a huge blessing. So there's just so much value um, in spending time in the word. So let's open up in prayer. So, Father, we just uh, give this time over you this morning. And I just ask, God, that you would um, absolutely uh, speak through me and may it just be your words. Um, may you also uh, be in the nursery with those little ones and the seeds that we're planting, Lord, as we're trying to teach our little ones that you are of infinite worth. You are of infinite worth, Father. And so, Lord, we just ask that you'd also be in that Sunday school room. We're teaching the same truth. You are of infinite worth and you're worth everything. And so, God, um, we just ask that you'd open up our minds this morning. Help us to hear you. I pray that we're hungry for you. And if you speak to our hearts, we pray that it wouldn't just stay in our minds, but we want to pursue after you, Lord, to act it out, God, to, to put into action what you're speaking to us. We thank you so much for your word that you've given us. Pray that you help us to continue to be intentional about spending time in it and understanding you and your heart, Lord. A lot of it is not a mystery. So we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, so as we read uh, John, through John chapter 12, maybe think about a couple of things. So when people come into church... Um, depending upon the church that they come into, there can be um, some things that people don't look forward to. So it, it, could be, it could just be the Sunday morning. Sometimes Sunday mornings are just insane and chaotic. Uh, so sometimes people don't, cannot look forward to that. Maybe sometimes if they have a long commute, they could be not looking forward to that. Um, maybe by the time they get to church and um, you know, they're going to meet whoever they're going to meet, you know, outside they'll smile, but on the inside they're like, oh, I hope they don't ask me anything more than hi. Um, or, you know, maybe when they get there, I hope they don't do hug each other, then sit down. I don't like that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, who knows? You know, there could be a lot of different aspects of church that make people feel uncomfortable. And as I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, we don't do it at our church, and it's fine to do it at other churches. You know, one thing that we don't do is we don't pass around the basket, you know, for money. Um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just had a personal conviction um, before we planted the church that I kind of want to follow after this, this guy, George Mueller, who set a pattern for just leaving a box in the back. Uh, I just think it, 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 it speaks something to have the box back there and have it to truly be a choice in somebody's heart or mind to want to give if they want to give. Um, and that's, again, not at all putting down at any church that just collects an offering. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a way of worship, which we're going to look at, at this morning. Uh, but probably not a lot of people are like, oh, I can't wait till they pass around the basket. You know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know if that's really the case. Um, and unfortunately, when it comes to church 
and uh, money, the church has not done a great job. It has not done a great job equipping people to take care of finance as well. And it hasn't done a good job setting a model of, hey, if you're curious how to handle your money, kind of like just do what we do. We're setting a model of how to approach finances. Church really hasn't done a good job. And what I mean by that is a lot of times it, it, it seems like in some places, if you work people up enough emotionally, they'll be more eager to give over some cash. And, and that's just not right. You know, that's just wrong motivation. Um, early back in, in like the Middle Ages, it went as far as you could actually pay money to get forgiveness of sins. They'd call it a penance, so you could pay some money and then like you wouldn't have to spend time in purgatory and hopefully God would look favorably on you. That's horrible, right? You have sin and money like interchange like that. It's horrible. It used to be, this is why George Mueller put the box in the back, it used to be that when you come uh, into pews, it, it'd kind of be like you're at a, you know, NFL's going on, it'd be like you're at an NFL stadium or at a game. So you'd come in and be like, all right, you know, this pew right here, this is, this is primo. You can get spit on by the pastor and you can really experience the presence, first row, so that's like 20 bucks a week, you know, right here. And then you'd step it back, and you know, that's still pretty good seating, you know, and so maybe that's like uh, 18 bucks, and that's like 16. So they had these ways to where all these pews, you know, you had your VIP sections and other sections, they call them pew rents. So you rent out, you know, your pew. Um, again, kind of a weird thing, right? Kind of a weird thing, and you could see how people could get strange with that. You can see how people be like, you know what, I'm paying big bucks for that front one. Everybody's going to know. I paid for that, and our family sits there. And meanwhile, hopefully, their heart and their life matches up that attitude too. But you can see how people could use that and make that have an appearance of like there's something that they're not, right? Um, the story that we're going to talk about today, about... Whew, just this amazing, just expensive uh, perfume uh, that was poured out on Jesus, and then a woman used her hair to wipe his feet with it. It's just incredible. The, the, really, the, the, the main intention, I think, of the story, like, why did John put that in there? Because John wrote this book, right? So we always want to be asking ourselves, why did so-and-so, whoever it was, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you always want to ask yourself when you're reading, why did he write this with these words in this way? What was he trying to say to people who would read it or listen to it? Because what we don't want to do is we want to create meaning and be like, I think it means this. He probably meant that. We want to do the hard work and prayerfully go through it and say, was John really trying to say this? And so when he put this story in here, I think that he was trying to show, he was intending to show that Jesus truly is the Son of God and worship in amazing ways happens at his feet. Because John's whole purpose in writing the entire Gospel of John, we find out later in John, towards the end, in one verse in there, it says that, um, I wrote this so that the whole world would know that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why he wrote it. Other people wrote their books for other reasons, but the reason why he wrote John was so that, man, when people read this, hopefully they come away knowing this is the Son of God. And so he picks... Some instances and some places in life um, where he wants to highlight that. And, and one example we're going to look at this morning, I think, really does a great job of showing worship. 
Worship. Everybody say worship. Worship. Shows worship. And there's a money aspect attached to it. And just what happens because we are who we are and we live in the world that we live in, our minds just go to, oof, that was a lot of money. And then we just start thinking like, well, how come? Why? What does that mean? What does that imply for me? Good for Herb. What does that mean for me? What is he expecting out of my checkbook, my wallet, all this stuff? Um, So even though I think the main theme or idea in this passage is worship, finances seem to come right in there and dovetail with it. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, It seems to happen quite a bit when we come and worship that God just releases a generosity upon our lives. Not just in finances, but a lot of other ways. So you want to check it out? All right, let's do it. Let's check it out. John chapter 12, um, title of the message is Extravagant Worship. Extravagant Worship. And probably what we should do, well, let's go back. Let's go back to verse 45. I'll try to cover that real quick because last week we talked about John chapter 11 and Lazarus and like God's love and, and all that kind of stuff. So let's go back, verse 45. It says, Therefore many of the Jews, so Lazarus had already been risen from the dead, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. They saw what Jesus did. They raised Lazarus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So they started to believe. Can you think about the people that didn't believe? That's kind of weird, right? If we were to be, take a field trip right now and go to the like, nearest cemetery and be like, hey, we're doing something right now. I think we'd get a good chunk of people, man, God must be who he says he is. I've never been to a church service like that before. We took a field trip. No, you're missing it. Like, we rose from the dead. We didn't just go on a field trip. But verse 46 But some of them went to the Pharisees. You have your little tattletales. They went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. He rose Lazarus from the dead. Da-da-da. You know, I I can't even... It's it's a moment to tattletale. It's a strange thing. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting. So like, okay, we got to get together. So what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is a man. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they're saying like, man, if everybody believes in him, look what we're going to lose. You don't ever hear them say, I wonder if he really is who he says he is. He's making some radical claims. If he's making such radical claims, he should have some radical things to back that up with. We think he might be possessed by the devil. Is he really? Would the devil really be doing this? And like they never even venture into that. They just immediately think about what's this going to cost us. Some people approach Jesus and God like this and like, man, what's it going to cost me? I I don't know. And then investigate that a lot instead of, is he who he says he is? He says he's the way, the truth, and the life. He says he's the resurrection. Wow. Those are some bold claims. We should spend a lot more time and energy looking into that. That's the part that really matters. So they're saying we could lose everything. Verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. 
He's speaking kind of prophetically there. Verse 51. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. So you have this guy Caiaphas that stands up. He makes his proclamation. You don't know anything. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation should perish. What's the story of Christianity? One man dies to pay sins for all people, all time, forever. Caiaphas had no idea about that. He didn't have a clue. He knew nothing about it at all. So God is using a guy who doesn't know him, who doesn't know the plan for salvation, and speaking through him. So God will absolutely talk to and speak through people that do not know him. He will also not be speaking through people that claim to know him. Hopefully we have the discernment to understand where the difference is. And who's really talking. That one takes some time. And it takes some real like, intimacy and relationship with God to, be able to figure out, man, is this... They say they're speaking from God on this. I, God, are you really saying this? I don't really know. You could be. And I want to be open to it, but I don't know. So verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore... Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. So he, Jesus, basically hides out. He goes away. Jesus himself, he didn't like just come on the scene and just confront people. He thought it was wise and apparently God told him, hey, this is time to withdraw for a while. Be by yourself over here. Until the Passover, he's going to head in there. Now, Passover is a big deal. So it says from some other records that are not from the Bible, um, that are actually not even from Christians, just other contemporaries at the time, that there is about 250,000 sheep that would be coming in around Passover on this particular Passover. So this is very interesting because it's not like one person, one sheep. It was like one sheep for a family. And by family, we're talking brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts, you know, grandparents if they make the trek because it could be a long trip all the way down to Jerusalem. So we're saying conservatively, most people say, one sheep for like 10 people. So if you're doing the math in your head, hope you're doing it right, right? 250,000, right? One for 10 people. That could be 2.5 million or more. It's a ridiculously huge event. Big t- and, and like where they're going, Jerusalem is not that large of a city. So you just have this thing packed. Packed to the gills here. And so verse 56, they kept looking for Jesus. So they're looking through all these millions of people. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They kept looking for Jesus. As they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it 
so they might arrest him. So he's got his little minions out there in the crowd. Hey, listen, you see Jesus. Come let us know. We're going to go take care of him. Now, do you think Jesus is going to hide and not ever go there? Nah, he's going to go. Now, before we get to that, I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger. That's a good stop to point because I still have some attention. Um, I wanted to open it up for a couple of minutes and change gears a little bit because Rob, I didn't forget. Because he finally thought I forgot. Because Rob got baptized, was it last week? Last Thursday. So he got baptized last Thursday. I would say this summer, I think there was three days that rained this whole summer. Two of them were on our baptism days. What is the deal? Whatever. We still did them. Um, so Rob surrendered his life, got baptized, he went to his house. Yeah. So he uh, surrendered his life, and um, I, said, uh, I said, man, you know, would you mind sharing that at church? You know, just encouraging our church family. And he said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so he's going to come up and just give some, uh, some words about, so I told him, I said, man, really the question I, I think that, you know, really remains is, why would you commit your life to God, your family, your life? You don't have to. We didn't put a gun to you, right? No. We didn't have church security show up to his house and be like, do this, you know. It's not what we do. It's not how we operate. So, um, so you want to come on up and share? All right, let's do it. I just wanted to say that God is good, and um, he's just blessed my life, you know, and I didn't have him in my life for most of my life, you know, I thought I did, but um, he was definitely there, and I just let the devil work on me hard from when I was a small kid to, you know, till just a few months ago, and, you know, just in a few months' time, my life has totally changed for the better, you know, and... I did a reading this morning, and it just said God is good, and everything he does is good, you know, and he created all of us, and all of us are good, you know, we all have that in our, in our hearts, we just got to bring it out, you know. Um, you know, a little bit about my story, I was born, you know, 1969, so uh, crazy time in the world, and, um, you know, I was born, and uh, my parents divorced, you know, when I was young. I was two years old, and um, so I grew up most of my, you know, all my life without a father, and uh, didn't really know what a father was. I had a few father figures in my life, and, um, you know, good people in my life always, but, um, you know, really good family. But, you know, we're in, uh, I was raised Catholic in the Catholic Church, and the only time we really went to church was, you know, Christmas or um, Easter, and, you know, we celebrated all these holidays, and, you know, um, it was a lot of celebration with alcohol and stuff like that, but um, the thing is, through my life, I just, you know, I always let the devil work hard on me, and, um, you know, just thought I was no good, and um, I don't know, I was just kind of lonely. At, at a young age, I was 
like tossed around between family members. My mother was sick and uh, went to my father. Then I went to an uncle and, um, you know, just kind of tossed around a little bit. But, um, at, you know, growing up like eight years old, um, I had a lot of free will, that was for sure. You know, I, I ran the neighborhood and did, you know, what I wanted to do and uh, got into a lot of scrapes and, you know, um, just... If people didn't like me or what I said, you know, we fought and, you know, um, but, you know, I was molested at a young age too, you know, by a neighbor down the street and that kind of like, you know, that was a big secret for me, you know, he said he was going to kill me or kill, you know, hurt somebody, you know, what they do, they use, you know, the devil to intimidate young kids and, um, but... Uh, you know, so I, that worked hard on me, you know, I kept this secret for a long time and, um, you know, just kept a lot of secrets and moved around a lot, got into a lot of trouble and, uh, you know, moved to an uncle's house and I was good at making friends in my neighborhood, but I wasn't good at making friends. It seemed like when I moved to my uncle's house, I just kind of isolated and, um, the devil worked hard on me, and there was always something about me that I didn't like, you know, whether it was my buck teeth or this or that. Um, so there was just a lot of stuff that, um, you know, I didn't like about myself. And, uh, you know, um, just anything I prayed for, though, God always gave me. You know, I prayed for um, a girlfriend, and he gave me that, you know, and then had a girlfriend that turned into a marriage and I had three kids and you know I didn't appreciate it and didn't know anything about it you know and um, I left them behind and you know another part of my story is that you know I'm I'm an alcoholic and uh, you know started drinking heavy at a young age and you know that kind of filled the hole at first and uh, did for me what I couldn't do for myself and um, you know so that but then it kind of reversed on me, you know, and it became like drinking for isolation and um, just drinking all the time and, you know, that's the only time I thought I could have a good time is when I was drinking and, uh, you know, it was a false sense of uh, of a good time. I wasn't having a good time, you know, I was just, it was just getting me more and more away from God and listening to the devil more and, um, I don't know, it's just... It wasn't a good way to live, and um, I don't know, kind of my thoughts here, and then, you know, got divorced and left those kids behind, and then I prayed for another woman, you know, and God brought Christine into my life, and, you know, that was pretty chaotic for a long time, too. We had two two beautiful kids together. She already had a son, Matthew, who um, is in my life, and he's a really good young kid, you know, despite the fact that, you know, I couldn't really show him what a man was, but, you know, I did what I did, and, you know, I've always worked and um, worked hard, and, you know, but I just, it's just chaotic way of living, and, um, you know, we've always had our arguments, and we went through a lot of chaos in the household, and, um, you know, between my drinking, and, she had her own issues. She could tell you about those. <laughs> I'm not going to take her inventory. But, uh, 
you know, we just weren't working together with God. And, you know, all of a sudden one day God just hit Christine hard. You know, she came to church and uh, her life has turned around immensely since then. And it's just all good, you know. Um, and then, you know, I seen that in her and, you know, I was always in AA and I, you know, tried to give my my will to God, but I didn't really understand it too much, you know, and I'm just a work in progress, you know, I, I can't really quote the Bible and stuff like that, but, you know, I, I listen and I understand and, um, whereas Christine, she, she reads the Bible and she, she could quote stuff and all that, but, um, you know, and then we started, like, really praying together and, um, you know, in the morning we wake up and we do some readings and we pray together and, you know, we just put God in our life first and it just turned everything around. You know, we have a beautiful life today and we're trying to pass that on to our kids and it's just, um, it's getting awesome, you know what I mean? The, you know, the hole that I was trying to fill with alcohol and all this other nonsense, you know, God has just filled it. You know, one night I was watching a show and it said, you know, if you want to be reborn, just say this prayer after me. And that's what I did, you know. And the next morning I woke up, and that's when me and Christine started praying together. And um, it's just been changing ever since. And I don't want to give that up, you know. Um, I definitely don't want to give that up. I just want to keep coming to church and keep giving it all to God, you know, because he's blessed me through it all. He's always been there for me, you know. And, um, you know, step three in Alcoholics Anonymous is turn your will and your life over to the care of God, if you understand it. You know, today I don't really understand everything, but I'm understanding them more, and it's just getting better and better. And, you know, it's one day at a time, that's for sure, and uh, I'm going to keep keep coming to church, and I've got really good feelings, you know, and it's just, um, there was a point in my life I would never get up in front of people and even say one word, so, you know, I'd run out that door before I did that, so this is a blessing in itself, and just, that's about it. completely restored and redeemed. He's like, man, I ain't giving this up. That is awesome. Ah, just so encouraged by that. God, we just thank you, Lord, that you're good. And we thank you, Father, that you pursue us, Lord. It's a scary day, Lord, when you just give us over to our own devices, God, and you just say, you know what? They just don't want me. But Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that you know. You know where people's hearts are. You know what well, people would just totally say no to you, Lord, and where there's, there's still space. And Father, we can't see that. And a lot of times we just see the outside shell and there's no way that's telling the story of what's going on in some, inside somebody's heart and mind and in their life. Father, I pray, God, that we would just, man, just be extensions of you wherever we're at, love people where we're at the best that we can, be patient with others, talking in kind ways, with right tones, not keeping a record of what's been done to us. We thank you so much for that Wilkinson household. We just praise you for just 
man, the amazing work you've done and what you're going to continue to do in that house, you will bring back everything that those locusts have eaten and then some. You're going to, re, you're going to equip and reveal to Rob what it means to be in a man. He won't even have that as an experience, but you're just going to bring that into his life. You're going to show him how to do it, Lord. And he's never been there before, the way that you're asking. It's an amazing thing, Father. And I thank you that the boys in that house, Lord, are going to be able to see what's going on with mom and dad. And it's going to speak powerfully. So, Lord, we just rejoice with you. We just thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you've used us to partner in the process. We don't even understand why you do that a lot of times, but we just thank you, Father. Continue to bless that home. Keep them safe. Protect them from the enemy that would just love to come in and bring back history, bring back past problems, guilt, shame. Equip Rob and Christine with the ability to combat that with truth. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good stuff. It's really good. It's awesome. It's awesome. I don't know. What time we got? 12.30? Okay, we'll look at this quicker than anticipated. Here we go. Okay, John chapter 12. So, yeah, we'll just go quicker through it. It's okay. So six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. So kind of like our Bethany, not too far away, right? So Jesus arrived there at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's the guy he rose from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. So they probably, something happened, they're like, man, he rose him from the dead, we got a party, right? We got a party. Say party. Yeah. So they're going to throw a dinner, they're going to have an event, just be like, man, this is amazing. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. So here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and we know Martha from before, she's kind of the one that's working a lot. And it's interesting, the first time we see her in the Bible, like she's working, and she's working kind of too much, and Jesus is like, man, you need to, your sister Mary right now, she knows, like, now is the time, you've got to relax a little bit, and understand right now, this is better, what's going on, just being with me. Time for work will always be there. And so we kind of, like, corrected her a little bit, but now we see her, there's no correction going on, she, she's still working, but she just knows where those boundaries need to be. So Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And I always got to wonder, like, was Lazarus maybe a little bit upset that he just got taken from the dead? Like, you know? If he was in heaven or with the Lord or in the Old Testament or wherever they went when they went. Jesus, you know, you didn't have to really bring me back, you know? You could have maybe brought me back and then set me back again, like, you know? But they're back there reclining and just fellowship and hanging out. He loved this, this family. It says, then Mary, this is Mary of Bethany. A lot of Marys in the Bible. You got Mary, Jesus' mom. You got Mary Magdalene, who, um, she was the first woman when Jesus rose from the dead after Easter. He saw her and did a lot of things in her life. 
Um, but this is Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha and Lazarus. So then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So she has this, it was probably an alabaster kind of jar, cracks it open, and the house is, and pours it all over him and wipes, that's just unbelievable, wipes his feet with her hair, and then it says the house is just filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Just a rat, she was not a wealthy woman. It's about a year's salary, this is where we get into the money stuff, right, but about a year's salary, and a lot of Bible commentators think that this is possibly, probably, maybe even a dowry if she were to get married. Um, nonetheless, it's a real lot of money. And she just takes it and cracks it open and dumps it all. She takes the most valuable thing that she has and lets it loose all over Jesus. And then she takes arguably her second most valuable possession, being a woman in those times, her beautiful hair, and starts wiping his dirty, grimy feet. So it's like all she did was worship and give everything, and she even got dirty in the process. And I guarantee you, if she was here right now, she'd be like, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Totally worth it. I lost nothing in that, and I gained everything. It's amazing. So it says, but there's always a guy, or a woman, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So anytime there's an authentic pouring out of worship and praise, there will be people around that are being exposed in the process because their hearts aren't in the same place. And there's something there of like either resentment or bitterness or envy. And it's not really our job to figure those things out. But you can tell kind of in a response like this, it's using spiritual language, oh, you know, we just really want to give to the poor and we could have done a better job with that. And it's just not really the main issue. It wasn't the main issue. It was spiritual language covering up a secret sin. And I've done it. Probably you've done it. And we've got to be on guard against it. It's easy to do. Really easy to do. Especially if people don't know a lot of details about our lives. But somebody knows. Somebody knows. And that somebody still loves us and he still died for us. So Jesus sticks up for her. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So Jesus is saying, man, the only reason why she had, she didn't know, but she saved this for my burial. She's actually anointing me now for the burial, for the death that I'm about to go through. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Then meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the crowd, they found out where he was at in Bethany. They all showed up. So the chief priests made plans. Look at this. They made plans to kill Lazarus as well. 
So he's, they're looking to kill him again for the second time. This guy can't catch a break. It says, for on account of him, many of the Jews are going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So Jesus had used this Lazarus example. Not only raised Lazarus from the dead, but then it increased the faith level of his apostles and disciples, and it increased the faith of anybody who was in that vicinity. It was awesome. And we spent a lot of time talking last week about you know, God's love and Jesus' love, and he actually found out that Lazarus was sick, but he said, basically, because I love them, I'm not leaving right now. Because I love them, I'm going to let him die first, and then I'll show up. And we talked last week about what kind of love is that? Love responds. Love moves. What is the deal? So we talked about that last week. So then we close up and, you know, they're trying to figure out who Jesus is and trying to get him. But the highlight of this story and what's going on here is this extravagant pouring out of worship. And you got one guy there saying, no, 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 not a wise investment. You get a much better return somewhere else. So let me just give you a couple of thoughts because we are definitely not getting to all this stuff here. So a couple of thoughts. Now I can let you go in a few minutes. If it's possible, somebody could be thinking this and reading this. Um, So if somebody read this and saw this, somebody could make a conclusion of, okay, let's give extravagant. Let's give Jesus a lot. Judas was a selfish thief who's probably more jealous than anything. And then somebody could just be like, okay, i got to give Jesus a lot and not waste any time. That's a fair conclusion, right? You could just read that surface value and say, well, Jesus is, yeah, he's worth definitely a jar of perfume that costs a year's wages. I should give a lot. And so, all right, you know, let's go. It's, It's not quite that clear. So just to have that understanding would be a mistake. It'd be a mistake. There's way more to it than that. It implies a lot of other things. Here's some, um, I forget how many, what number this is, but it implies some other questions, like this. How did she know it was time to do that? She's like known Jesus for a while here. They've hung out at the house for a while. How did she know that this was the time? What about previous times they're hanging out? Um, is God asking for Christians to give away all that they have? So is that like a mark of spiritual maturity? So when we come in here, it, should we even own anything? Should because there's passages in the Bible where they gave away all they had. In fact, there's several times when Jesus told people, give away all that you have. So is that, that's a fair question to ask. Next question, so following that one up, is how much am I supposed to give in the first place? So if, it's, if for some reason it's, we're not called to give everything, then how much are we called to give? Right? This opens up a whole can here. Is it possible to give and be sinning Or, why would God ask us to give anything since he owns everything anyways? Like if he owns everything, and the Bible makes it pretty clear, he owns everything. What do we, what does he need our stuff for? And then one question I thought of too is some people could be thinking, well, how did God pay her back for that? That was quite the radical generosity situation. How did God pay her back? Did he like... Make another alabaster jar just appear when she woke up the next morning or somebody drop one off at the house. 
Because sometimes we'll think like that. If we just give a radical generosity or giving somewhere, I might be thinking, man, I don't, how's God going to make up for that? That was a big one. Or at least God, you know, let me know how you're going to use it or do something. So there's a lot of questions there. And maybe we'll, we'll, we're not going to get to all that this week. No way. Um, but here's, I think we'll get to the heart of it. So the heart of giving money. Now, I hope everybody understands. At the feet of Jesus is where we are able to see his infinite worth. At the feet of Jesus only are we able to see his infinite worth. This is a rare story throughout scripture where we see a radical outpouring of generosity and it matches the worth of who Jesus is. Like it makes sense in that moment. Man, he is so worth that and so worth my hair to wash it with and so much more. He's worth it. But we'll never ever see that worth. We'll never see that if we're from afar. We just kind of see Jesus from a distance. We're not close to him. We're not at his feet. We're not in fellowship with him. It'll just be like, okay, how much do I have to give? What is the church saying that I'm supposed to give? And that's religion. That's religious. Uh, it wouldn't be a successful message today if we just, if, if my goal was, hey, let's fill up that little white box in the back and boom, we got it. That is not the case. Because the issue is not how much should I give? How much should I give? Just tell me what to give. Tithe, Old Testament, absolutely for certain. Within that tithe, 10%, it was 10% off the top, the best that somebody had. Herd, cattle, crops, wine, flour, whatever they had. 10% off the top, the best. They could give more if they wanted to, but 10% off the top, the best. New Testament, There's made no reference that that's still the case. The New Testament principle is, as it says in Corinthians, a generous heart that is not giving under compulsion or coercion. Well, I'll tell you what, that puts pastors and churches in a funny situation. Because, hey, we've got to keep the thing afloat and we've got to pay the bills. But at the same time, If we want to be true to Scripture, we have to wait for people to be at the feet of Jesus and know His heart so they can then give out of that, not because we forced anything. Does that make sense? So the New Testament model for giving is based out of a relationship with who He is. That makes a lot of sense because all of Christianity is based on relationship. Why wouldn't money be the same thing? So 10%, I don't know what the number is. Usually when somebody comes to me, I don't know, 10%, I don't know, you know. What is God speaking to your heart? What do you feel like He's asking you to give? Because it is an important biblical principle that He does get our money back to Him, that we do give it to Him. I mean, that's clear all throughout Scripture. That he gets the best of us, including our money. And some people are like, well, I'm volunteering my time and I'm doing this and that, that. And it's good to do that stuff. 
But it's absolutely, totally true that he wants actually our physical hard money. Like, we give that to him. And it's different for each person, each situation. Because it, it's, let me show you something I read. What did I read this week? Because here's the struggle. Um, I, I read this week and I wrote it down. Where did I put it? Uh, I promise you I did. Okay. So the article I read this week about generosity, giving, all that kind of stuff. It says two-thirds of Christians don't tithe because they can't afford it or there's too much debt. So here's the issue. So maybe God is who he says he is. Jesus is who he says he is. I worship him. I follow him. But if most people in church are in radical amounts of debt, what's the deal? Right? What is the deal? So, I still fully believe that we're called to give. And if we're rocking some serious debt, then we have to really prayerfully, this is, the, this is what the prayer life looks like. Father, you know that we're in debt. We've made maybe choices that were not wise and not in our best interest. But we know we are called to give back to what we bring in. God, what should we be given? And you pray that prayer and you encounter his heart with that. That's how you approach money when there's debt involved. Because now you are going after the heart of God and saying, Lord, you know our position. I'm being honest with you. I'm not trying to hide this. And I'm definitely not saying I don't want to give. Because it's very important that we actually do give because he doesn't need it. But it's for us to help grow our faith and understand that he is our true provider. Not just my boss. I was reading, a, I've been reading a cool little book lately and I was just talking about this guy and um, God really moved in his heart and, and his situation, he felt like God was calling him to move his job and do some things and he's like, and I feel like God was calling me to South Africa and, and this was um, early 1900s and he's like, and we didn't, uh, we didn't have the money needed and so um, he was just breaking down each situation so he's like, on the way to the train station, you know, we didn't have the... Th- $25, you know, it gets from the train, it gets to where, he said, me and my wife, we didn't have it. He said, but I know, we knew that God spoke to hearts where we were supposed to go. So we just prayed as we were walking. And then his wife goes, well, what are we going to do, babe? We're at the train station. I was like, well, we're just going to wait in line. I don't know. So then they're just in line and they're waiting. And sure enough, somebody pulled them out of the line, said, hey, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to give you this right now. Boom, laid it on them. Then he just walks through another scenario um, where they're uh, then getting on is it another train or... No, it wasn't another train. Oh, they're going on a boat next. Um, and they find for that and they didn't have it. And then they were praying their way through that. And then somebody drops off some money for that. And then they were out where they needed to go and their laundry was just, you know, disgusting. He's like, laundry, you think that's not important? These are all opportunities to build our faith and understand who God is. Unfortunately, we're just all too busy making money that we never, like, let go of letting him do what he wants to do with it. So laundry. So, the, so he's like, Lord, we, we need to get our laundry done. So they pray together, him and his wife. They're praying for the laundry. And sure enough, somebody drops, it was like $6 or something. Somebody drops off $6 for the laundry, you know, to get it done. Um, but finances, God uses in unbelievable ways to show us and teach us who he is. We are so missing out on communicating with God and knowing who he is when there's not a step of faith in the area of our finances. 
We're totally, we're missing it. You're missing who the provider really is. I mean, I can honestly tell you, like the Murphy household, I don't know how we pay the bills. I'm a math guy. I teach math. Physically, the numbers on our spreadsheet of what we bring in and the bills that we have, I don't know how we're not in the red all of the time. I, I, I do know. But if you just look at it, it's like, that is a, that's a stupid way to live. Like, what the, you don't have to do that. Like, and Judas was kind of like this. That's dumb. That, that, that's just, that doesn't make any sense. But if somebody's at the feet of God, they know Jesus in his heart to be like, no, he is calling me to this. He will see me through this. So look at somebody next to you. Say, he's calling me to this. He'll see me through this. Some people do. That's pretty good. Right? So they remember stuff. You just keep saying it. Repetition. So our finances is like an awesome way where we can see who God is, who He says He is. Because, yeah, it's cool to hear about that guy's story and him waiting in line and seeing how God provides. That's great, and that's kind of encouraging. What's really encouraging and overpower somebody's life is when it actually happens in their life. Like, man, it was a $400 bill, and they got a $400 check in the mail. And somebody said, hey, we know your family needs it right now. I mean, we got one of those at the house. People are like in another state. It's like 400 bucks, you know. It's, it's a good chunk of change. Out of nowhere. We just know. God just said. And these people weren't like rich either. God to just submit in that area of finance and say, Lord, I want to honor you and worship you in faith with my finances. What is appropriate? So the Murphy household, you know, we give a certain amount now and... Next year, we're going to try and increase that a little bit. Um, and the interesting thing is that, you know, when we first started to give regularly, I was like, oh, that hurts, you know? And it was like, you know, I see the withdrawal, you know, thing, because we do the donate thing online on our website, and it, we just do the recurring thing out of our checking account. And, uh, you know, early on, I was like, oh, we're not giving this week, are we? you know? And it's like, it's a huge temptation to go back there. With the justification of, yeah, we, we just can't even pay for stuff, and so we just got to cancel, you know. But if we're at the feet of Jesus and God has laid it on our hearts that we know this is what we should be doing, we have to ignore that voice and move forward. That's what faith is. Faith is being at the feet of Jesus, being with Jesus, knowing what he's saying, and then moving. It's not faith if we just say we're doing this and just whatever. That sounds like faith, but it's not. Faith includes a direction from God that we know where he's going. And we're going in agreement with it. Is it making sense? So for whatever reason, Mary in that moment, she's like, this is the time. It's time to just let it loose. Extravagantly give and offer. And I pray that's what we're known as as Christians. Hopefully our Christians, you know, at our church and where we go around, and not that everybody needs to know what we do, because you just made it pretty clear that, you know, make it so that your right hand is even what your left hand is doing. Um, so it's not something that we, like, brag and boast about at all, ever. But if it gets to situations and things happen, 
Hopefully people, man, they are radical givers, super generous. Some believe, I've never met a person like that before. Holiness of heart and just a radical giving. So we're called to do. So in that moment, Mary is like, I'm not losing a year's salary. I just gained everything. And she's now looking for a payback. The offering is just, Lord, just take it and have it. I just trust you with what you're going to do. So that's how we're called to give. And we can sit down and like write out how difficult it is. But hopefully it doesn't drive us. Hopefully our worship of who he is then drives our generosity. Does it make sense? All right. Let's uh, let's stand and We're going to do one song together of Be Thou My Vision. And um, before, right before we play the song, so a couple of things to think about as, as we're singing the song, and you can sing the song, and you just, you know, prayerfully be there. Um, you know, one is, God, am I even in a worship with you? Because that has to happen first. Um, it's totally a good thing if somebody's like, you know what, I... I, don't know, I know I should be giving, I got to give, but like I, I need to understand you know, what, what God is saying. And it's a good thing to put that on hold for a minute and actually be in relationship with God and trying to hear His voice on it. And it might be like for somebody, man, I'm doing a dollar, $5 a week, you know, uh, 20 bucks a month, that's what we're doing, that's it. That's all we can handle. That's a faith step for us, and I think it's an offering that would be pleasing to God. Um, but again, don't get so hung up on the numbers. Get hung up on being in a relationship with Him and, and knowing who He is and being at His feet. From there, you will pour out your checkbook. It'll just be whatever. I know who He is. Like, so now when that, you know, that you know, reoccurring thing comes out of our account, we're like, what, you know, whatever. God, we so know you're going to more than make up whatever we just gave away. It's, it's, it's light work for you. It's easy. We trust you now. It's good. So think about this question as the song is going. How are we worshiping God with our finances in our home? That's it. I mean, that's really the question to be thinking about when it comes to the area of finances.